Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Inside Grappa. This is Sebastian Herrera. I'm your host for today. I'm a rheumatologist from Medellin, Colombia, and it is a pleasure to share this podcast with two great professors, Dr. Katie Long. She is from Singapore, and Professor Oliver Fitzgerald, he's from Ireland. So we're going to be sharing and discussing information about peripheral arthritis in psoriatic disease today. The importance of this is the great morbidity it can become or it is in patients with psoriatic disease and the burden of treatment it carries with it. So let's go ahead and dive into the importance of peripheral arthritis. Professor Fitzgerald, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much, Sebastian. Delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So um, peripheral arthritis, as you state, is indeed a very important manifestation of psoriatic disease. It is often uh, part of the presenting symptoms of patients with psoriatic disease, patients presenting with arthralgia, joint swelling. And one of the features, of course, with peripheral arthritis is that it ultimately leads, if not properly controlled, to joint damage and erosion. And unfortunately, erosion is generally irreversible. So it is an important manifestation to detect. If you detect it early and treat it early and control disease early, you may be able to prevent joint damage. We do know that synovitis precedes joint erosion, and we know that joint erosion is associated with long-term disability and poor functional outcomes. Studies have shown that approximately 27% of patients have erosions at an average of one year from onset of symptoms, and by two years of follow-up, at least one erosion had developed on radiographs in 47% of patients. We also know from Daphne Labman's group that after 10 years of follow-up, 55% of patients had more than five deformed joints. So all of that does, I suppose, emphasize the importance of peripheral arthritis and its need to control the symptoms and findings of peripheral arthritis as early as possible. In terms of symptoms associated with peripheral arthritis, joint pain is the most common symptom. And it's a key complaint in patients with psoriatic arthritis and has been identified as something that we, we need to pay more attention to the, the whole features of joint pain. It's also fair to say that most of the evidence from randomized controlled trials supporting psoriatic arthritis treatment were derived from patients with peripheral arthritis. And there's less evidence for other features of psoriatic arthritis like spinal disease, enthesitis, and dactylitis. So it is certainly the, the main area that the randomized controlled trials have focused on. Katie, would you like to add anything in? Well, I think peripheral arthritis is very important. Up to a third of people who have psoriasis will develop psoriatic arthritis in their lifetime. Most of them develop psoriasis first, followed by psoriatic arthritis. And only 5% is in the reverse. But psoriatic arthritis, the peripheral joint, is the major complaint that patients have. I think that is a very important note to pay attention to in the patient's perspective. Thank you very much, professors. And it's really interesting, the heterogeneity of the peripheral component in psoriatic disease. 
Uh, traditionally, there have been described patterns, and the most common subtypes are the traditional Molon Wright five subtypes, oligoarthritis, polyarthritis, the distal component, mutilans, and axial, with the polyarthritis and the oligoarthritis subgroups being the most common subtypes. And Professor Long, which will be the associations and the most common risk factors for this kind of involvement for peripheral arthritis and psoriatic disease? Yes, it is a very relevant question. As we know, the majority of the patients have psoriasis at the background and then later on develop arthritis. And then there are some clinical features that traditionally we have been identified as important to predicting people who might develop arthritis within the group of people who have psoriasis. These, just like the nail dystrophy, that has long been identified one of the risk factors that associate with the risk of developing a psoriatic arthritis. Others, like a family history of psoriatic arthritis or spondyloarthritis, would be another reason. Of course, the severity of psoriasis has been described, and nowadays we know that people do have non-specific astralgia that precede the onset of psoriatic arthritis. And ultrasound has been very useful in identifying some anthesion lesion before the onset of psoriatic arthritis. There are obviously other reasons, like obesity, perhaps it's because of the physical stress that insert onto the lower limb joints in particular. And some type of psoriasis has been implicated, just like this scalp psoriasis, and other genetic factors related to cytokines like CXCL10 have been implicated as well. I'd like to highlight that within the expert, they have been voting on what are the factors that might be important. And there is an interesting study that noted nail changes, family history, severity of psoriasis, arthralgia, and uveitis. Whereas there is an interesting study recently by the Toronto group that looked into a group of 600 patients who have psoriasis but without arthritis and then follow up them over the year and see which one of them developed psoriatic arthritis. And they have a predictive model looking into a various factors. And then the five years predictive factor, then they identified pain, have been using systemic treatment for psoriasis, nail lesion, the severity of psoriasis by passing, morning stiffness and fatigue as important factor to predict the onset of psoriatic arthritis. So the paper there by the Toronto group certainly does suggest that there are risk factors, but it's only accounting for, as I see it, 75% of the patients that they only seem to be able to determine which patients will progress to psoriatic arthritis. So 25% can't be detected using the Presto study. So it suggests to me that we need to do a little bit better again, and I think we need to identify other potential clinical or molecular markers that might predict which patients with psoriasis are going to develop psoriatic arthritis. So that's, I think, a focus that needs to occur. The other comment, just Katie, in relation to the biomarker, CXCL10, I mean, it has been shown to be useful from the Toronto group, but it's yet to be validated in other studies. So I think a little bit of work needs to be done there as well. Great. Thank you very much both for your opinions and your input. 
let's go ahead to the next topic. We've covered the importance of the clinical presentation of peripheral arthritis. We've covered risk factors and associated conditions. But what about treatment? And I think it's really great that we are with both Professor Katie and Professor Oliver, which were colleagues for the peripheral arthritis domain of the GRAPA recommendations. So who better to tell us a little bit about the actual recommendations we have for this manifestation for peripheral arthritis? Thank you, Sebastian. And it is a really exciting process when we go through the review of the literature uh, search update uh, for the GRAPA recommendation 2021. We have 30 members from GRAPA all over the world who work on this project, looking into randomized controlled trial evidence in support for the uh, treatment of psoriatic arthritis. We also, when included in this group, we also have two patient research partners. So the recommendations have been extensively discussed further within the full uh, recommendation group. So in this review, we used a grade methodology to evaluate the quality of evidence derived from randomized controlled trials and in three different patient groups. Patients naive to treatment, patient inadequate response to conventional DMARCs, and patient having inadequate response to biologic DMARC or targeted synthetic DMARC. In addition to the quality of evidence, we also have thoroughly discussed and taken into consideration of factors like patient's value, their preference, and accessibility and cost problem in the recommendation. However, I have to say that there are many more therapeutic choices, although we have many more choices for peripheral arthritis nowadays, yet we note that head-to-head studies are only a handful. So now I'd like to go to the conventional DEMA. I have to say that there is very low quality of evidence to support the use of conventional DEMA, like methotrexate, salvasalicin, the folamide, being superior to a placebo. However, we also take into account of the data from observational study, reviewing that the clinical response for methotrexate in particular is reasonable. So we have been looking into data from the TICOPA trial, the tight control study, and a large trial, the PSA-SIM trial, and looking into peripheral arthritis outcome, like the ACR20. Actually, the ACR20 is ranges from 40% to 60%, and the MDA outcome is ranges from 22% to 43%, which is actually not bad. The working group also have a long discussion about this point. And because we have been using methotrexate forever, and we have very long experience of usage, it is very low cost and have universal access in many countries. And we also don't see a reason why we cannot try methotrexate or conventional DMA first and followed by a, a close assessment and see whether the patients improve or not before we consider biologic. So it is reasonable to give a strong recommendation for people who are naive to treatment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting that there is some divergence of opinion across the Atlantic between the North American and European side in relation to the decision to start treatment with methotrexate. It's fair to say that in Europe, 
I think most people would be strongly in favor of starting methotrexate as the DMARD of first choice in patients with psoriatic arthritis, with obvious exceptions, you, people who you would uh, try to avoid methotrexate. But in the US, I think the tendency would be to try to avoid methotrexate and go straight to biologic DMARD in many of the patients with uh, psoriatic disease. That's uh, very perfect. That lead me to the topic of the biological DMARC. Fair to say that if we look into randomized controlled trial evidence, nowadays we do have good evidence to say that TNF blockers as a first-line therapy in patients who are naive to treatment is a very good choice. The same PSA study, which clearly show that if you use TNF blockers as a first-line, is definitely superior to methotrexate. So therefore, a strong recommendation was given to TNF blocker as a first-line therapy. And for those patients who have inadequate response to conventional DMARC, of course, we also recognize that high level of evidence to support the use of TNF blockers, interleukin-17 blockers, interleukin-23 blockers, and JAK inhibitors. And the evidence to support the use of askokinolab is also moderate. So for this reason, the GRAPA has decided that we will give strong recommendation at an on-par level for all these agents, including TNF blockers, interleukin-17 blockers, interleukin-23 blockers, and JAK inhibitors. Yeah, I, I would agree that all of those can be recommended for peripheral arthritis. The issue that comes up with patients, of course, is which one do you start first? And unfortunately, there are only a few head-to-head -head clinical trials that compared the efficacies of these therapeutics with one another. There are only two randomized controlled trials for IL-17 and one randomized controlled trial for a JAK inhibitor that have included a comparison with adalimumab and showing similar efficacies for peripheral arthritis. So I think we need more head-to-head -head studies in the near future to guide us with the choice of treatment. In fact, I think it's fair to say that the area of addressing which patients should receive which treatment is an, certainly an area of, of key unmet need in patients with psoriatic arthritis. I would also mention that there is a lot of work being done at the present trying to identify molecular markers which will identify which patient will respond to which treatment. This work is being conducted, for example, under the auspices of the Hippocrates Consortium, which is ongoing in Europe, where we're gathering together a lot of cohorts from patients that have undergone treatment with a variety of different treatments, focusing on methotrexate, TNF inhibitors, and IL-17 inhibitors, and hopefully JAK inhibitors as well. Yes, absolutely, Oliver. I really want to echo about this point, is how to predict response to treatment, to avoid the trial and error that we are doing for our patients. Actually, the Japanese group has tried to use a two-flow cytometry to differentiate whether they would respond to TNF blockers versus the response to interleukin-17 blockers. And that they have been very successful in, in, in doubling the clinical response over a few years' time. So the, this study needs to be further validated. And what Laura Coase is currently uh, replicating the study protocol and see whether 
the study results can be replicated. I think it is a lot of work to do with biomarkers and looking into the molecular level and how to predict the response to different treatments. I think in the near future, we will be seeing a lot more of these data coming out that can guide us with the treatment for psoriatic arthritis. Absolutely. Okay, great. Professor Leung, Professor Fitzgerald, thank you very much for being here with us today. It's been a great review of peripheral arthritis in psoriatic disease. We've covered clinical presentation, the importance of peripheral arthritis, risk factors, associated factors, and a really small, concise, but robust review of treatment. And this little snippet of the possible future of treatment prediction. It was great. Thank you very much for the both of you for being here. Thanks, Sebastian. Enjoyed that. Thank you. And with that, we're wrapping up today's discussion. Thank you very much again for our guest experts. And we'll be hoping to see you on our next episodes. The next one will be actual PSA, which is a great and sometimes controversial topic. I urge you to follow us on all our networks. We're in YouTube, we're in Facebook, we're in Twitter, now X as Grappa Official. Join us on our website, Grappa Network. Keep in tune with the next podcast. Have a great time and thank you for listening to us today. <laughs>